You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Good morning. Go ahead and turn in your scriptures to the book of Mark, chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 19 this morning. And before we do that, wonder how many of us here have had any kind of experience working with any kind of blueprints? Quite a few of us. Now, those of us that haven't worked with blueprints, we know what blueprints are though, right? Blueprints are a design, they're a plan of, of something, whether that's a building or a, or a car or, or, or something that it helps you know dimensions, it helps you know how things fit together. The blueprint is the design to show us uh, the, what the final product is supposed to look like when things are built. And uh, that's provided, of course, that the blueprints are good, right? Sometimes blueprints can be inaccurate or there's a mistake on them. But assuming we have a good set of blueprints, and assuming that the blueprints are accurate, what happens when we deviate from the blueprints? Disaster. Yeah, the results can be disastrous. If you have a building and, and someone makes a mistake or they deviate from the blueprint in some way and it happens to be a load-bearing wall or something significant with the structure, we could have a serious problem on our hands. Whatever we're building, if we deviate from the blueprints, may not function as it was intended to function as a result of that deviation. It is critical that blueprints be followed. And today we are going to look at Jesus' design, His blueprint for discipleship. What is discipleship and how it's supposed to look. Before we get into that, let's do bow for a quick word of prayer as we approach His Word. Lord, we are grateful to be here once again, grateful to study Your Word. I pray that as we look into the Scriptures this morning, uh, seeing what it is You have to say about discipleship, that we would be receptive. Lord, I uh, pray that You would be guiding me as I speak, that I may only speak words that are in accordance with Your Word, and that You would do a work in our hearts and lives today, that we may leave here uh, more faithful disciples of you than when we arrived. And may your spirit accomplish that through your word today. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So let's read Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter, and to James the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Phil, uh, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So here we have a section where Jesus is calling out his apostles, his disciples, and he is calling them to specific tasks. As we look into this passage, though, we need to remember the surrounding context. 
If you recall from before, we just came out of a section where we had various groups of people rejecting Jesus on different levels. So we saw that the religious leaders of the day back at the beginning of chapter 3, they rejected Jesus and his teachings so much so that they were willing to go out and plot to kill Jesus Christ. It was outright rejection of the Messiah. Then we had the crowds who, they seemed like they had accepted him, but really they were just coming to him because they wanted to see some cool tricks. They wanted to see what they could get from Jesus. They weren't interested in Jesus himself. And we saw how surface level acceptance is actually rejection. And that is the section that we come out of. And there's this contrast between these different groups of, of outright rejection and Surface level acceptance, but actually it is rejection as well. And now we come to the disciples. This list of names that we have here. These groups of people that Jesus calls to himself that are accepting Jesus for who he is. And as we look at this, we have a few observations to be made as we get into this. A few observations before we begin to consider what the blueprint was. First, I notice that Jesus is the one making the selection here. He is the one calling them out. In verse 13, Jesus went up the mountain. He summoned those he wanted. Or a more direct translation might be, he called those whom he willed. And they came to him. So Jesus here is the one making the selection. The crowd, there's crowds of people coming after Jesus and following him wherever he goes. But Jesus selects 12 to form his inner core group. And he selects these 12 to be his disciples, his apostles for the purpose for which he has. Now what's interesting about this is as we look at these men, we might think, okay, here's Jesus, he's selecting these guys bet you these are real top-notch individuals. These guys got to be real sharp for Jesus to select them. But as we look at the lives of the disciples, we find that that is just simply not the case. We've got some very interesting characters in this list. First of all, there's no scribes in this list. There's no Pharisees in this list. There's no religious leaders actually at all that are among these people that Jesus has called out. Nobody with any kind of of religious clout did Jesus call out. Instead, we have just a bunch of, seems like a ragtag group of individuals that, as we read through this Gospel of Mark, really have significant shortcomings in many ways. We have Peter, who, he's he's just a common fisherman. He consistently is painted in less than flattering light throughout the book of Mark. And we're going to see him denying that he was ever with Jesus to begin with later on uh, in, uh, in the book when Jesus is on trial. And then we have James and John who are renamed Sons of Thunder, which is probably a reference to uh, their personalities. They would have boisterous personalities. And we're going to see these two guys go so far as to approach Jesus and request this extremely presumptuous request Lord, when we come into your kingdom, grant that we might sit at your right hand and your left hand. That is a pretty self-serving request. We have Matthew, who's a hated tax collector. 
He's viewed as a sellout and a traitor to the Jewish people because he works for the Roman government and he takes money from his fellow Jews more than what they owe, keeps some for himself and passes the rest on to the Roman government. That's a hated individual for that role that he would have had in that society. And then you've got Simon the Zealot. The Zealot, he would have been uh, involved in a subversive political party that was seeking to overthrow the Roman government. They were known as the Zealots. So there's a pretty good chance that Matthew and Simon probably would not have gotten along too well, except they, if they were not under uh, the authority of Jesus here, if they uh, were in a different context. Because you've got Matthew, the tax collector, working for the Roman government, and Simon, the zealot, that wants to subvert the Roman government. Two individuals that would have had significant tensions if they were not united under Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we have Judas, who we know betrayed the Lord and handed him over to the chief priests. And then we have a handful of other individuals that we really don't know a whole lot of information about them. This is hardly a collection of super saints. This is hardly a group of guys that we would just set up and go, man, look at these guys. They're just so holy and righteous and they just got it all together. That is not what we find in this group of individuals. And yet these are the ones that Jesus Christ is choosing to fulfill his purposes, to be an extension of his ministry while he is here on this earth. And I hope that that's an encouragement. Because if God can use, if Jesus can take this group of individuals who just mess up, consistently misunderstand Jesus and, and completely flub things throughout the Gospel of Mark, if he can take those group of guys and shape them into who he wants to make them to be and use them as his initial core group, then there's hope for people like you and me. And I hope that that's an encouragement to you. This blueprint that we're about to see isn't built upon some outstanding individuals, but it's built upon Jesus Christ and what he can accomplish in the lives of even messed up individuals. This blueprint was designed with people like us in mind. People like us. So that's the first thing we see, the selection that Jesus made. The second, we see that Jesus appointed the 12 men or ordained them, depending on what your translation might say. This word actually literally means to make or to create. Jesus makes these men to be apostles. He creates them to be apostles. This is significant because this tells us that Jesus is doing something new. Jesus is taking this group of men and making them when they were not something, and he is making them to be something. And that is significant. Jesus is not taking a group of individuals and, and using who they are, something about how great they are, and, and using them for his purpose, but rather he is creating within them what he wants to see and makes that within them. I like how one commentator put it, a quote. Discipleship does not consist 
in what disciples can do for Christ, but in what Christ can make of disciples. So discipleship, again, it's not about what we can do for God, but what God is doing within us. And this, this also calls to mind 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. That is what Jesus is doing with this group of individuals. He is making something new. He has called these men out. Just like he makes something new of us when he saves us and gives us new life, he is making something new with these disciples. I don't know if you've heard this saying before. It's just kind of a, a little clever saying that I've heard. Um, Jesus doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. And I believe that that is true, and I believe that that is what we are seeing happen with as he calls forth these 12 men to be his disciples. He isn't calling qualified men. He is qualifying the called. And again, that should be an encouragement to us. Because there are times where I'm sure that we feel inadequate about the tasks for which God has called us to do. But God is the one working within us to accomplish His purposes. And He's going to accomplish His purposes within the disciples. These 12 men are going to be the initial men to go through and work work the blueprint. And then this blueprint carries on. So what is the blueprint? What is it that Jesus wants from these disciples? What does He want them to be doing to be engaged in? Three things Jesus calls them to do, and we see them in verses 14 and 15. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So these men were appointed to be with Christ, to be sent out to do two things, to preach and to cast out demons. That's the blueprint. That is, what, that is the model that Jesus set up. Again, not based on the men, but based on Jesus Christ, based on the model leader. And those who follow him are sent out to do his work. So let's look at the components of this blueprint. The, the first thing that we see here, to be with Jesus. When Jesus called these men to be his apostles... First and foremost, they were called to be with Jesus. And this terminology of being with Jesus, that alone should clue us in that this is a discipleship context. We can miss the significance of this, but we really should not. These men were with Jesus. This should cause us to take a step back and to consider Before discipleship is a task, it is first a relationship. It is a relationship before it is a task. It is a who before it is a what. Jesus wasn't looking for a group of guys that, you know, just just a bunch of guys to hang out with. Like, hey, bro, let's go. Let's just hang out together. Jesus wasn't looking for a group of guys to be in his fan club and just to cheer him on as he was going out like, Yay, Jesus, you're doing such a great job. That wasn't what Jesus was looking to do. He was looking for a group of individuals 
who would come and live life alongside of him, learn from him, be taught by him, and eventually to emulate him. They were to go wherever he went, to do whatever he did, and to learn how to do the things that he was doing. And along the way, they would have experienced some pretty fantastic things. Blind eyes opened, ears that were deaf could now hear, mute tongues could speak, the lame could walk, the dead were raised to life. They could experience all of that alongside of Jesus Christ. But this also meant experiencing some of the hardships alongside of Christ as well. They would have experienced the ridicule of the religious leaders. They would have experienced the the hostility from those religious leaders. They would have been harassed by the crowds and ultimately they did suffer tremendously from those who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was part of being with Jesus. You got to experience some amazing things, see some incredible things, but also experience the hardship that went along with it. See, being with Jesus leaves an unmistakable mark upon those that follow Him. Those who are with Him, there's there's just something about it that leaves this mark that people can just tell that these individuals had been with Jesus. We see that Peter was recognized as having been with Jesus in Mark 14, 67. When, Jesus, when Peter was in the courtyard, when Jesus was on trial, and there was that one slave girl that said, I recognize you, you were with Jesus. And then later in the book of Acts, in Acts 4, 13, we, we read, When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. The more time that is spent with Jesus, the more recognizable that mark becomes. Check out 2 Corinthians verses 15 and 16. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. This is what being with Jesus does. People can just can tell. They, they just smell it on us. We have this aroma, this fragrance about us. To those who are being saved, it, it's, it's a beautiful fragrance. Like, man, you have, you have the words of eternal life, and they embrace it. But then there are those who reject. To them, it is a, a fragrance of death because they are rejecting the source of that fragrance, Jesus Christ. And so that is a repugnant smell to them. They're repulsed by it. But it comes from being with Jesus. Jesus is the teacher who instructs us on how to live. Jesus is the king who has authority over our lives. Jesus is wisdom personified. In him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. He willingly imparts those treasures of of wisdom and knowledge to those who are willing to learn, who are willing 
to be with him. So Jesus calls the apostles to be with him, and they, they spend three years walking this earth with Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls us to be with him as well. Now, obviously, it looks a little bit different, right? Jesus isn't here physically. We, don't, we don't, can't have a face-to-face conversation with Jesus or, or exp- walk the streets of Jerusalem with him. But we can still spend time with him. And I think you probably already know the ways to do that. How much time do we spend in the scriptures on an individual personal level? Do you study God's word on your own? Do you read his words? Do you linger over them and let them transform you and just sink into you? Do you allow the text of God's word to inform how you live? Can you say with David in Psalm 19, your words are sweeter than honey and more desirable than finest gold? This is how we today get to be with Jesus, is in studying his word, the the scriptures, the words that he has given, that he has given. Additionally, we have prayer. We can spend time with Jesus in prayer. We occasionally sing the song, Sweet Hour of Prayer here. Familiar with that song? Some of the lyrics, listen. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In sessions of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, the joys I feel, the bliss I share of those whose anxious spirits burn with strong desires for thy return. With such, I hasten to the place where God my Savior shows his face and gladly take my station there and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. Do those words resonate with you? Do those words describe your prayer life? I mean, it describes it as as bliss and joy and, and great delight. Do you have that experience in your times of prayer? Or is your times of prayer relegated to mealtimes? We thank the Lord for the food and then, or maybe just times of crisis. Something goes wrong, Lord, I need you now. I don't know how many of you know people personally that they only seem to come around when they need something, right? When something happens, something comes up, you get a phone call, you get a Facebook message, they're knocking on your door because they need something. There's just something that they need, but they don't take time to invest in a relationship. They're not there when, when they don't need something. Nobody likes people like that, right? They're just like, all right. All right, here you go, whatever. And yet, isn't that how we can be with the Lord? Something happens, I get, you get in a car wreck. Man, Lord, I need you to help me figure this out. Times get tough financially. Lord, I need you to help me figure this out. Some, some health issue comes up. Lord, I need you to help me figure this out. But when everything's going fine, we just kind of go about our day. Not thinking of the Lord. 
Well, Jesus wants more than that. He wants more than just times of crisis and mealtimes. He wants to spend time with His disciples. And this is the first aspect of the blueprint. And all the rest of the aspects of the blueprint hinge on this. If we miss this, the rest of the blueprint doesn't come together as it should. If we're not spending time with the Lord, we're deviating from the blueprint. And we know what happens when we deviate from blueprints. The end result is not how God would have it to be. And if we're not spending time in prayer, if we're not spending time in God's Word, either we're not His disciples or at least we're very poor ones. And either case should bother us tremendously. So let's seek to be people who do strive to be with Jesus in times of study in God's Word and in times of prayer. Now, maybe, you hear and maybe you're here and you do spend time in God's Word. Maybe you do spend time in prayer, and that's terrific if that's the case. I'm glad to hear that. But spending time with Jesus is not intended to be an end in itself. We have other aspects of this blueprint. Time with Jesus in His Word and in prayer is meant to equip us so that we might go forth and minister to others. He appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out. To send them out. We were never called to be Jesus' disciples so that we could just sit by ourselves, keep this message to ourselves, and just keep it all within. Christ called us in in order to send us out. We are called in to be sent out. And he has two priorities in this sending. Jesus sends us in order to proclaim him and in order to serve. First to proclaim. He appointed 12 to be with him to send them out to preach. Now, something that has been said many times, the idea of preach as we find it in the New Testament, that word for preach does not mean like what I'm doing right now. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It can include that, and that's, simply, that's typically where our mind goes because of our context in America today. But the idea is simply a proclamation, a heralding, an announcement. It is simply communicating a message, and that is what is in view here. When we see this word to preach, we need to have our minds go to a proclamation, a communication of a message. And we are sent out to communicate the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus' blueprint for discipleship is not limited to simply spending time with Jesus, but that time is to inform us, to equip us in order to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what Jesus did with his apostles. He calls them in, he instructs them, he sends them out. And then they come back and they report to him and they have more times of instruction. They learn and then they go. They learn and then they go. They learn and then they go. That is the consistent pattern. And that is to be our pattern as well. We need to learn and go. Learn and go. That is a responsibility that we share right alongside with these apostles. Right alongside with these disciples. Called to proclaim the name of Christ. And what is that message? What is the content of what it is that we're to be proclaiming? 
Jesus had his message that he proclaimed right at the beginning of the book of Mark. We covered it before. He went out proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God, saying, Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for salvation. That's the message. That's what we're to be going out and proclaiming. That is what the disciples were sent out to proclaim, and that is what we are sent to proclaim as well. And this is clearly important because it is something that it continues that we see throughout the book of Mark as we go through it. At the very beginning, when Jesus first called his first disciples, what did he say to them? He said, come, follow me. From now on, I'll make you fishers of men. The idea was that of discipleship, of continuing on discipleship. Jesus didn't select men just to be with him and just have this little huddle like, oh, hey, we're all best friends, we're going along together. But they were sent, again, called in to be sent out. And that's something that we see at the very beginning with the first calling of the disciple. You're to be fishers of men. You're to go out and reach out to those around you. And then we have this here. He calls them in to send them out. And then at the Great Commission, when Jesus says, go, therefore, proclaim the gospel to all nations. It's a consistent theme. that This is what disciples do. If we're not doing this, again, we're either poor disciples or we're not His disciples at all, deviating from the blueprint. Now, you might be thinking, you know, I know I should be doing this, but man, I'm just not, I, I don't know enough. I, I don't have enough information. I'm, I'm not eloquent enough. I can't speak that well. Well, guess what? I joined the crowd. These disciples didn't exactly have it all together either. In fact, they consistently, and we're, we're going to see this as we get into chapters 4 and, and 5, they had no idea what Jesus was teaching them. They were consistently confused with what Jesus was teaching. And yet, Jesus was working with them, correcting their un- misunderstandings, and helping them to understand to be able to apply it and be able to go forth and share with others. So that didn't stop them from fulfilling this, and it shouldn't stop us either. But this is why that first part of the blueprint, spending time with Jesus, is so critical. Because if we're not spending time with Jesus, but we are still going out and proclaiming, there's a good chance that we can get that message confused, and we can begin to teach things that are incorrect, But it is our time with Jesus that helps inform the time of going out and proclaiming. And so these two things are linked together. It calls to mind the the passage where Jesus says, He calls uh, at the time of the judgment when people come before Him, and they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in Your name? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Individuals that thought they were doing great things for the kingdom. And Jesus says, I never knew you. They failed to spend time with the Lord. We cannot make that same mistake. In the land of Israel, there are two seas. And by seas, I mean bodies of water. We got the Sea of Galilee. And we have the Dead Sea. 
What's interesting about these two seas is that they are both fed from the same river source. They are both fed with the Jordan River, but the seas are two very different. The Sea of Galilee is is teeming with life. There's unique species of fish and lush vegetation surrounding. It is just a vibrant, vibrant place of life. The Dead Sea, as you might guess from its name, is dead. There is no life in this sea. There is no life in this body of water. No fish, no vegetation. So it makes us ask the question, they both have the same river source. What's the difference? Well, the Sea of Galilee has an input, the Jordan River, and it has an output. The river flows in, the river flows out, and this keeps the water fresh. The Dead Sea has an input, and that's it. There is no output. The water stagnates. The water comes in, eventually it evaporates, but it just sits there and doesn't go anywhere from there. And as it evaporates, what's left behind is is such a strong concentration of minerals and salt that the water is uninhabitable. You need to drink it. It's actually toxic. So it is when it comes to discipleship. If we have an input, if we're we're spending time in God's Word and and we're, we're praying, maybe we have input, we're receiving teaching, but we never share it with others, what good is it doing? That water just eventually evaporates and serves no good. We stagnate as believers. On the other hand, if we are receiving the teaching from God's Word, and we go out and we share that with others, that's where there's life. That's where there's a freshness in the ministry. So we should strive to be more like the Sea of Galilee, where there's the input and there's the output. Both are necessary instead of being like the Dead Sea, where things just stagnate. So this is the second aspect of the blueprint. He calls us in to send us out to proclaim, but He calls us in to send us out also to serve. It says, He appointed the twelve to be with Him, to send them out to preach, and have authority to drive out demons. So, starting Thursday nights, we're all going to get together and learn how to perform exorcisms. All right. Not so much. A few things to understand here. When Jesus gives the authority to these apostles to cast out demons, we know from the parallel account in Scripture in the book of Matthew that when the same thing happened, He also gave them authority to heal sicknesses and and to, to care for people. And so when Mark comes to this and he says, gives us the idea here of driving out demons, We should understand this as a summary term of all of the ministry that is going on when it comes to serving others. So Jesus, again, when it comes to discipleship, disciples emulate the leader. Disciples emulate the rabbi. Jesus is the rabbi. He is going around preaching. He is going around healing. He is going around and and casting out demons. These are the things that Jesus is engaged in. So the disciples are engaged in the same things. They go out preaching. They go out driving out demons, and that casting out of demons is a summary term to encompass all of those other aspects of the ministry, including healing of diseases and sicknesses and things like that. So that is uh, what these disciples were to be doing. And these miracles served two purposes. The first purpose 
is that these miracles were intended to authenticate the message. These miracles were to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And the apostles, when they were performing miracles, it was to prove that, yes, these signs that I am doing authenticate the message that that guy over there, that Jesus, yes, he is the Messiah. We need to believe in him. That's the first purpose. The second purpose is that it puts the love and compassion of Jesus Christ on display. Many times as we come through the, the Gospels, we read the descriptions where it says Jesus had compassion on the crowds. Jesus had compassion for those around him. And so he cared for them. He was engaged in these mercy ministries, helping the people where they were hurting. So we today, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to serve others. Now, obviously, we, can't be do, we, we don't have the ability to be doing these miracles and these signs. The purpose of that has been fulfilled. The message has been authenticated. That's no longer necessary. However, we can still emulate Jesus as we serve those around us, as we engage in ministries of mercy to those that need it. So though we may not have the authority that was granted to the apostles to do these miracles and to cast out demons, we do have the ability and the charge to do good to those around us. This is what Jesus said as a summary of his ministry, of why he came to this earth. This is exactly what he said. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if we are his disciples, then that is what we are to be engaged in as well. You know, this is one of the themes that we have for our year, right? We've been created to serve. We're called to serve. So we must choose to walk in obedience to that calling and serve those around us. This can take a variety of forms. It doesn't always have to look like one thing, but it is something that we are to be engaged in. Jesus specifically set this up as part of the blueprint for discipleship. If we are to be His disciples... Who are we to deviate from his plan? These are the three essential components. We're to be with Jesus, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer. And I would encourage you, as, as you approach time in the word, try to eliminate distractions. Because I know that, that that can be something that can make time in God's word so difficult. You sit down, you open the Bible, and... Zzz, oh, well, oh, some... And then before you know it, you have to go off somewhere and the time that you had designated for his word is, is gone. So you turn off the phone or turn off notifications. Whatever you got to do, eliminate distractions so you can have a focused time where you're spending in God's word. And the same is true when it comes time to prayer. But invest that time. And then as we are called in, as we spend that time with Jesus, as he calls us in, Again, it's not just so that we can just accumulate input, but there needs to be that output as well. And that we can share with others things we are learning, share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. 
and then serving those in need around us. That's what true discipleship looks like. Spending time with the Lord, proclaiming His message, and serving those around us. That's the blueprint that we are to follow. To deviate from that blueprint, again, if we're talking about a blueprint from a house, if we deviate from that blueprint, we can have disastrous results. And the same is true in discipleship. To deviate from the blueprint of discipleship, frankly, makes subpar disciples. And we want to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to be stagnant. We don't want to be Dead Sea disciples, but rather life-filled disciples that are sharing the good news of Christ, serving those around us, and being with Jesus, having that aroma, that fragrance of Christ about us that can only come through time spent with Him. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. Thank you for the revelation of this this blueprint that helps us know how we ought to be living as disciples. You've called us to spend time with you. Lord, we can be so busy sometimes. We get so caught up in the activities of today that it can just distract us from spending that time with you. I pray that you'll help us to be disciplined in this area, help us to really strive to to know you, to know your word, so that we may in turn share it with others and serve others. I pray that as we do go out, that you would give us great boldness to speak the truth of Jesus Christ, that all who trust in him and him alone for salvation will have eternal life. That message of repentance and faith, I pray that we would be faithful to proclaim it to others. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us to be aware of the needs of those around us, that we can have mercy on them, compassion, and show them the love of Christ, not only in our words, but also in our actions. You have said in the book of James, in the book of James that it does no good for us to say to someone, oh, go, be warmed and be filled without helping their physical needs. I pray that we would be willing to address their needs. But along with that, sharing the gospel of Christ with them so that they too might be able to be with you and be your disciple as well. Pray that you help us accomplish all of this and do this work within us. This is a work that only you can do. You are making it. Pray that you would accomplish that within us by your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.